Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jason Mark, and this is Reset. John Brennan is a former intelligence officer who served as CIA director from 2013 to 2017, and he's got a new memoir out. It's called Undaunted, My Fight Against America's Enemies at Home and Abroad. Brennan recently spoke with Reset's Justin Kaufman, and he had some pointed words about the current director of national intelligence, who just released some of Brennan's handwritten notes about Russian interference in the 2016 election. I'm deeply disappointed that John Radcliffe would engage in what I think is such blatant, politicized uh, behavior and engaging in these actions. A very selective release of my handwritten notes that seems to be intended to promote uh, Donald Trump's interests. And one of the things that I really respected during my 33 plus years in government was that the heads of the intelligence community and individual agencies really did their utmost to stay out of the political fray and were not engaged in any type of partisan politics. And so John Ratcliffe, who was a very ardent partisan supporter of Donald Trump when he was in the Congress, I think has continued to play that role. And he does a disservice to the women and men of the intelligence community, does a disservice to the American people in terms of having confidence Mm -hmm. that the head of the intelligence community will remain independent and objective and and not engage in this type of political activity. Director Brennan, President Trump seizing on the notes. He says it's proof of a, quote, Russian hoax. Uh, He says it shows the connection between President Obama and Hillary Clinton, and they were trying to tie Trump to Russia. Uh, this was part of a, of a claim that was actually a Russian allegation, and you presented it as such. But, but when you talk about this and, and it's getting oxygen on the right right before an election day, I mean, we're, we're within a month from election day, how do you want to set the record straight? Because you did do that. You, those were handwritten notes, your, your notes. So what do you say when, when you have Ratcliffe or Senator Graham or the president and everybody else saying, this is proof, this is the smoking gun we were looking for? Well... They misrepresent the facts. As you point out, they were my handwritten notes. And I did brief President Obama and the senior members of the National Security Council team in August about what the Russians were involved in. And I was giving the president and others uh, insight into our collection capabilities against the Russians. And as it says in my notes, that the Russians were alleging to themselves that Hillary Clinton was basically seizing upon the press reports about Donald Trump's connections with Russia in order to distract attention from the email issue that and server issue that she was dealing with. Now, even if the Russian allegation was correct, and that's a big if, because I think it's been shown that a lot of the stuff that the Russians were saying among themselves was not true. If it was correct that Hillary was doing this, there is nothing illegal about that at all. And the inference of Radcliffe's memo and pushing these things out, including the fact that that information was passed to the FBI, is that Hillary was involved in some type of criminal activity. A lot of that memo uh, was redacted uh, that has been released. Mm -hmm. And so people should not jump to any conclusion that that reference to Hillary's alleged emphasis on the Russian connections with Trump 
was the basis for any type of referral to the Bureau. So again, I think what they're doing is they're trying to seize upon any bit of information or intelligence, in this case, my handwritten notes, pushing out into the public and then letting all of their spin doctors present it in the most misleading and, uh, for their purposes, the most nefarious way. Uh, Director Brennan, when you've been critical of the president, and you've kind of stepped a little bit out of line of former CIA directors, like you said, who haven't waded into politics, and that's a conscious decision. You talk about it in the book, uh, about going to Twitter and, and feeling like you had to say something about it. Why did you do that? Why was it that you wanted to come forward and be critical of the president when he took office? You know, in some respects, Justin, I think I am in good company with some former heads of the intelligence community, Mike Hayden, who came out very powerfully just yesterday with a ringing endorsement of Joe Biden, despite the fact that Mike Hayden is Republican. Jim Clapper has been outspoken, as has Leon Panetta. As I say in my memoir, I really felt that when Donald Trump assumed the office of the presidency, he didn't have the experience, the temperament, the background, or the uh, understanding of, of history and the importance of the rule of law and the solemn responsibility of the presidency to carry out those duties. I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, but unfortunately, throughout the course of his three and a half plus years in office, he has demonstrated that he has continued to use the same type of tactics that he used during his business uh, career, which is to lie, to cheat, to mislead, to deceive. Um, you just look at the things that he has said and has done. Uh, aside from his incompetence, uh, I think he has just shown an amazing degree of craven political behavior that I think is uh, disrespecting the office mm -hmm. of the presidency, is an embarrassment to this country. And I have policy differences with them. I've had policy differences with the presidents that I've served previously. That's not what forced me to speak out. It is his lack of integrity, honesty, character. Uh, the fact that he has, I think, defiled the office of the presidency. And that's why I have been speaking out and will continue to speak out as long as he tramples the, the democratic principles upon which this country was founded. And people on the right might say, well, this gives credence to the president who says he was wrongfully uh, investigated, that uh, it was a partisan hoax that they were coming after him. They were trying to make sure he wasn't president. Uh, just look at uh, former director CIA uh, John Brennan, how he tweets and how he's so obvious that he's against the president. So how do you balance that as well, that being critical of the president also gives oxygen to the arguments on the right about the intelligence gathering services? Well, uh, yes, I know that that is one of the criticisms of me. Uh, it's quite ironic because when I was served in the Obama administration and the director of the CIA, my most ardent critics and those that were calling for my resignation were on, the left, were on, right? the <laughs> on the Democratic side of the aisle. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so now if you look at Donald Trump, the criticism that he is receiving comes from all sides of the political spectrum. Look at the Lincoln Project and look at all the very, you know, well-respected members of the Republican Party who have had the intestinal fortitude and the courage to speak out. Uh, and so to me, it's not a partisan issue. I'm not a Democrat or Republican. Uh, you know, as I say in the book, I'm, I'm an equal opportunity. <laughs> and throughout the course of my career, I have, you know, challenged uh, members of both parties when I believe that they were not fulfilling the responsibilities and duties of their office and were not, you know, following through with their oath of office uh, to the Constitution and to the American people. I want to ask you about why you got into the CIA to begin with, because many people would say, well, I came from the armed forces. Maybe I was selected. People knew I was going to be involved. Uh, you, as a former CIA director, first joined by answering an ad in the back of the New York Times. <laughs> Tell us about that. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, and, and one of the reasons why I wrote this book was to encourage young Americans to seriously consider a, a career in public service and the CIA or the intelligence community because this is a wonderful country and we really reap such tremendous benefits and rewards from living here. And I am the son of an immigrant. My father immigrated from Ireland when he was 28 years old. That was back in 1948. And he instilled in my brother and sister and myself a love of this country, that we should not take our citizenship for granted. You know, the fact that he strove to come to this country and then apply for citizenship, I think he really treated it in a very special manner. So uh, as a, at a young age, I was interested in seeing, uh, learning more about the world and understanding the, the role of the United States in that world. And I had the opportunity to spend some time in Egypt, going to school and in college, as well as traveling in Southeast Asia. And so when I didn't know what I was going to do upon graduating from Fordham, uh, there was this ad in the New York Times uh, when I was taking the bus over to Fordham uh, University in Bronx, New York. Uh, this said that the CIA is looking for some individuals to help to keep this country safe and secure. Well, I sent in my resume and I uh, had an interview in New York City uh, and I was given an application. At the time, I had already applied to graduate school at the University of Texas. So the recruiter said, well, why don't you go to graduate school and then when you're ready to graduate, fill out the application, and which I did. And uh, thankfully, uh, the CIA took a, a chance on me. <laughs> but again, I was just a kid growing up in New Jersey from a blue collar family. And again, this book is an effort to try to show how, you know, this is a wonderful land of opportunity and that through hard work uh, that you can rise even to the top of the uh, America's premier intelligence agency. Director Brennan, at the early part of your career, you were told that you don't have the skills to be a CIA agent. What are the skills that go into being a, a, a successful and uh, motivated CIA agent? It's a CIA case officer. These are the CIA employees who actually go out and recruit agents abroad, foreign citizens who are willing to risk their life to provide the United States government with information, intelligence, and insights about what's going on around the world. And so uh, to be a case officer, you need to be, I think, extroverted. You need to be able to, you know, operate at a cocktail party and go up to you know, strangers and introduce yourself. And to, in many respects, it's like, you know, being a very good businessman. Well, I was rather introverted when I was young and I, I didn't have those skills, although I, I said to my CI recruiter that I could develop them. I was hoping that the CI was going to, again, take a chance on me and, and teach me how to be more extroverted and to cultivate relationships and try to recruit individuals. And when I was hired by the CIA, I had an opportunity to serve in the analytic component of the agency. And I felt that that type of work was much more in keeping with my interests as well as my strengths. And so I shifted from operational work early on in my career to the analytic side. I went back into operations during my career, um, but I had the good fortune to serve in many different parts of the agency yeah. and to understand how the different components actually interact with one another. You also are a big part of counterterrorism, and that's a big part of your book, talking about uh, al-Qaeda, uh, talking about uh, 9-11. What do we need to know about uh, counterterrorism work? Because we know what we know from watching shows like uh, Homeland or, or uh, 24, things like that, and I'm not sure that's necessarily accurate. That's fiction. But what do we need to know about counterterrorism and the efforts by the CIA, CIA especially in the Middle East and, and when we're talking about al-Qaeda? People always ask me what I think about you know, Homeland or 24, uh, and I say I've never seen them <laughs> because <laughs> I lived it for you know my career. Uh, but what I think the American people know, need to know are several things. One is that there are some tremendously dedicated 
competent and courageous women and men, Americans, who serve around the globe 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to do what they can to uncover terrorist activities, plots, and operatives. And that particularly since 9-11, there has been this heroic work that has been done. Now, the United States has made some mistakes, I think, in the counterterrorism efforts over the years in terms of some of the programs they've had. But the, the, the United States government, I think, has really done a great job of trying to better protect the homeland. And we haven't had a recurrence of the horrific 9-11 attacks. But also, I think people need to understand that uh, terrorism is going to be a feature of the global landscape, you know, for years to come. I think we've decimated al-Qaeda. Uh, we have decimated some of the other terrorist organizations as well. But unfortunately, individuals will always be, you know, susceptible to the entreaties of individuals who want to use violence to promote their ideological, purported religious or political objectives. And, and so the CIA operates clandestinely uh, trying to uncover those terrorist cells. All of the CIA's activities need to be authorized by law and, and uh, authorized by uh, the President of the United States. So one of the things that I think Americans frequently don't understand is that the CIA is not a rogue organization. The, the detention interrogation program, wherein CIA officers apply these enhanced interrogation techniques, including waterboarding, on individuals who were known or suspected to be terrorists, that was a program that was authorized by the President of the United States. It was deemed lawful by the Department of Justice. It was briefed to the uh, senior leadership and the congressional committees uh, in Congress. And so the CIA has this obligation and has the uh, authority based in, on US, in U.S. law to carry out these directives when they are so authorized to do. Uh, so I think I try in the book to to explain some of these issues. They're tough issues, uh, they're controversial. I don't know whether or not the decisions I made you know, through the course of my career were, were good ones or bad ones. Uh, I do have some, some regrets that I talk about, mm -hmm. uh, but I also feel as though, you know, when I worked for the President of the United States, especially someone like President Obama, who had tremendous, tremendous respect for the sanctity of life and tried to ensure that no innocent lives were ever affected and counterterrorism operations, that we did our utmost to protect those innocent lives. Now in war and in counterterrorism operations, sometimes tragedies happen and mistakes happen. But again, I, I tried to give a first-person account of, of at least my experience uh, on these matters. Well, you're very descriptive in the book about, uh, for instance, briefing the president. Uh, you talk about your first your first time doing that, and you also you know how different presidents dealt with the briefing, whether it was uh, President Bush, uh, President H. Uh, w. Bush, President Clinton, President Obama, even President Trump. Take us into that room when when that happens when when you're briefing the president. What is that process like? Well, I, I served six presidents, and I got to know four of them pretty well: George H. W. Bush, George W. Bush, President Clinton, and President Obama. And all of them had tremendous respect and admiration for the work of the intelligence community. Now, I, I recounted the book the first time I went into the Oval Office to, to brief uh, President George H.W. Bush. And I must say, I was exceptionally nervous. I said, what's a kid from Jersey doing representing the CIA in the Oval Office, speaking to the most powerful person in the world? And over time, uh, you know, the butterflies in my stomach settled down. All of the presidents that I briefed had different ways of absorbing information and processing it. They were all very bright. They were all very intellectually curious. 
And they, they all relied heavily upon the insights, the intelligence, the analysis that I was able to provide and present as the CIA representative. Now, I, I only met and briefed Donald Trump once at the Trump Tower mm-hmm. on January 6th of 2017 when we briefed him on the assessment on Russian interference in the election. And I must say, Donald Trump received the in- information much differently than any of his predecessors. Uh, he didn't show the intellectual curiosity that I think is necessary for President of the United States. He seems to be much more interested in trying to find out how we knew certain things, and uh, I was very worried about what he might do with the information that we were providing him, because clearly I think he's been trying to hide some things over the course of, of his life and during this presidency. So, again, the seriousness with which uh, the presidents that I served for treated their, their office and the respect and admiration they had for the intelligence mission and intelligence professionals, I have seen none of that evident in Donald Trump uh, during the course of, of his presidency. I'm interested because President Trump, as we know, was recently diagnosed with COVID-19. The virus has spread through the White House. It's, it's really adding to an uncertainty in our country right now. So do, how does the president's health affect how vulnerable we might be from, from, say, bad actors, from foreign governments who want to take advantage of the situation? Is that something we should be concerned about? Well, I do think that foreign intelligence services have their intelligence collection systems on high right now, trying to gain better insight into how disruptive the COVID pandemic has been on our national security hierarchy, on the activities of Donald Trump and the U.S. military and others. And the reports that the Joint Chiefs of Staff now are in quarantine because of exposure to COVID. I have great confidence that the women and men of the military, of the intelligence community and law enforcement are doing their absolute best and are continuing to be uh, focusing on the threats to this country. So I, I don't have concerns there about disruptions at this point based on you know what I know about COVID. I am concerned, though, that the commander in chief, the chief executive, uh, Donald Trump, who I think by most accounts is on even at his best days when he's not beset by COVID or taking medications, he tends to be a bit reckless, impulsive, uh, and even irresponsible in some of these areas. How does the COVID virus affect his you know, mental capacity? How do the medications that he's on, the steroids and other types of things, you know, give him a greater sense of, you know, elation or uh, aggressiveness or impulsiveness? There are reports that there are those side effects. And so it, it's the a president of the United States is such a powerful position that really wields enormous, enormous power and influence throughout the executive branch of the government over the military, intelligence and others. So my concern is at that very top, and I think our foreign adversaries are watching carefully right now how COVID is affecting things and specifically how it is affecting Donald Trump's approach to his responsibilities. The memoir is called Undaunted, My Fight Against America's Enemies at Home and Abroad, written by former CIA Director John Brennan. Director Brennan, a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks for taking some time today. Thank you so much, Justin. I really enjoyed it. And that's today's Reset. WBEZ is bringing you the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings on Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett this week. Tune in for live coverage at 91.5 FM or stream us at WBEZ.org. I'm Jason Mark. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you tomorrow for more Reset from WBEZ Chicago.
If you need a break from the news, WBEZ's Nerd App Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club. Listen to Nerd App wherever you get your podcasts.